Yo, 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 what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the podcast called Getting to Know God. This is the place where we look to the scriptures and only the scriptures to know the one true living God of the Bible, letting him speak for himself in his word through the Psalms. I'm Brandon, also known as Pastor B-Side, and today we're going to look at the attributes of God as the Lord describes them in Psalm 9. The title for our study today is called, Why Doesn't Deliverance Always Come? You're going to want to check this one out and listen real carefully. But real quick, before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that if you've been digging on these studies or the things I do for ministry, please take a second and make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast and telling people about it on social media, sharing it with the people you know. A simple tap of the like or share button could help put the true gospel of Jesus Christ in front of someone's eyes, maybe for the first time, or at least encourage a believer who really needs it. And that's what we all want, right? All right. So enough of that. Let's check these verses. In Psalm 9, the Bible says this, To the chief musician, to the tune of Death of a Son, a Psalm of David, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation." The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, and the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. All right. So this is part three of our four-part study of Psalm 9. The last episode we looked at was for verses 11 through 12. In this episode, we're going to break down verses 13 and 14. So let's check it out. There's a lot of people out there that suffer for all kinds of reasons and feel as if God isn't responding to their prayers for help. The Bible is filled with promises and assurances from God that he will protect and deliver his people. The Bible is filled with testimonies of God's miraculous works that he did in the past for the children of Israel to prove that he is willing and able to deliver and save the people who seek him in humility. But there are sometimes, oftentimes, when God seems to be silent to our prayers for help. Why does that happen? You ever wonder that? First, 
It's important to understand the context of God's past deliverances that we see in Scripture. One of the most important truths about God's salvation is that it's eternal in focus. God is the Savior. God is the deliverer of his people. God is the good shepherd that leads his sheep into green pastures, even though we might be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Yet, God is eternal in nature and spiritual in nature, so that the focus of his work and miracles has an eternal and spiritual emphasis. The Bible shows that God worked a lot of miracles to physically deliver the children of Israel from bondage and trials of all kinds. Yet, if we look at the testimony of Jesus, right, God in flesh, he made it clear that he performed the same types of miracles in order to prove the word of his testimony as true. In other words, Jesus healed, he delivered, and saved people from their circumstances in this life in order to prove that he is God in flesh, which then proves that he is uniquely and exclusively qualified to provide his people with eternal life, dealing with issues of the heart and the soul. Since the word of God provides a ton of evidence with historically documented testimonies of God's power, wisdom, and faithfulness, he is not obligated to do any more of the types of works that he did in the past to gain our trust. He's proven himself well enough already, and we get all the proof we need in the full counsel of Scripture as we have available today. The things written in the Bible show that God has already done everything he needs to to gain all the integrity in the world. Still, that doesn't mean that God won't deliver and save like he used to. So why doesn't he always respond to our prayers for help? The Bible provides a lot of reasons to answer that question, but the testimony of Psalm 9 verses 13 through 14 gives us a compelling point that can shed some light on some of our struggles at least. In Psalm 9 verses 13 through 14, King David cried out to God for help. David needed help from people that were threatening and persecuting him. The way that David requested this help was through the specific request for God's mercy. Now, this is an important principle to understand. David's plea for God's mercy showed that David didn't approach God with an attitude of entitlement. David asked for God's mercy in the context of God's judgments of the wicked, showing that he didn't consider himself to be any different than the evil people that God would eventually destroy. The only difference between David and those who would be condemned by God was faith that provoked humility, ultimately expressed by David's request for mercy. Verse 13 again says, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me, you who lift me up from the gates of death. Now, David knew he was worthy of judgment too. He didn't pretend to be any better than any of the men that tried to kill him. And the Bible even shows instances where David accepted persecution from people, figuring that it was God's judgment against him that was well-deserved. Crazy stuff. Even though David suffered, he didn't let his suffering cause him to think that he was entitled to a better life because he was better or different than other people. David knew he was dirty, especially in the eyes of God. The scriptures show that David was often seeking God for forgiveness and repentance. David wanted God's favor here in Psalm 9 for specific reasons. David hoped that God would restrain himself from judging him like God judges the wicked. David knew that God was righteous and just and faithful to judge the people who deny and rebel against him. Since David knew that he wasn't perfect and was at fault just the same as any other sinner, 
He pleaded with God to be preserved from the negative effects of God's judgments, hoping to be an heir of God's blessings instead. The point here is David's attitude. That's what we need to pay attention to. He went to God for help, but he knew he didn't deserve that help. He knew he deserved to be treated like the imperfect and sinful man that he was. Still, he trusted that God is merciful and approached God with an attitude of intense humility as a result. This might seem like an oversimplification to a simple word, but the mention of mercy in David's praise to God shows that he had this intense attitude of humility whenever he addressed God. He praised God while he had to deal with trouble. He didn't have to wait for the physical deliverance of God to start praising him. David praised God in anticipation of God's response. This shows faith and confidence in God. David wanted God's mercy, showing that he knew he was just as guilty as the next person, but he was dependent on the nature of God to offer forgiveness, leaning on God's righteousness to provide blessing rather than trying to impress God by his own corrupted righteousness. David wasn't prideful or self-entitled when addressing God, and we see that clearly here in the scriptures. He was humble. He was meek, dependent, and definitely fearful. That's the first part of the lesson here that we need to understand. If we think about why God might not be delivering us or responding to our prayers for deliverance, maybe our attitudes need adjustment. This is actually the true attitude of praise that we see out of David here in Psalm 9 and the correct way that we should all address God. Still, the lesson doesn't stop there. It's true that God will sometimes seem to ignore our prayers because we have the wrong attitudes when we pray. Psalm 914 shows that there can sometimes be another issue too. Verse 14 says, That I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. So the question here is, what are our motives for receiving God's deliverance? You ever think about that? Yeah, we all want deliverance, but why? When David pleaded for God's mercy, he explained the reason that he desired God's mercy. He explained the reason that he wanted deliverance. David wanted to praise God freely, and the enemies that he had to deal with were oppressing him and restricting that desire. David was already singing songs of praise to God. We've seen plenty of psalms from David that show that. David felt that God was worthy of more, though. David was already speaking well of God. David felt that God was worthy of more. David couldn't give more to God because the men who were oppressing him were restricting David's physical ability and the opportunity to sing louder and proclaim God's greatness more often. David wasn't asking God to make his problems go away just so that he can live more comfortably. We have to catch that here in the psalm. David didn't want God to judge these guys that made his life hard <laughs> so that he could be satisfied with revenge. That's not what's happening here. David didn't want salvation so that he could feel safe and secure to pursue his personal ambitions. That's not it either. David wanted the opportunity to praise God to the degree that God deserves. That's what his motives were. Is that ours? That's why David wanted God to answer his prayer. Is that why we want God to answer our prayer? See, David wanted to praise the Lord to the degree that the Lord is worthy, based on the truth that God had revealed to him by his word. That should be our motives too. Sometimes God won't deliver us from our issues because our requests are selfish. 
The apostle James said it this way in James chapter four, verses two through four. Check this out. You lust and you do not have. You murder and covenant and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So the Bible clearly shows that God will restrict our desires when our desires are motivated by lusts of the flesh and desires where we want to be connected to and consumed by the world. God will not deliver us from difficult circumstances just so that we can go and indulge self according to personal comforts and ambitions, especially at the expense of his purposes for us. God will not bring salvation to people who only seek him in pretense, hoping to gain the good things that God gives without caring at all for the goodness of God himself. (laughs) He's not a genie that's obligated to respond to our demands for a better life according to our personal preferences. And the sad thing is that we as people often approach God with that attitude hidden in our hearts. Could it be possible that God is not responding to our request for deliverance because this is how we're coming to him? See, oftentimes our motives don't match David's motives that we see here in Psalm 9. David praised God with his heart before he asked God for a single thing. He loved God and was excited by the amazing things that he had seen God do based on who he knew God was. David understood the character and the nature of God and his faithfulness and his mercy and desire to praise God to his full potential and capacity in this life. The people who were trying to kill David made it so that he had to hide in caves. He was literally living in the wilderness without physical strength or opportunities to sing or speak loudly and boldly as he could otherwise, right? If you're hiding for your life in a cave and are trying not to be caught so that people don't kill you, you probably shouldn't be singing praise songs out loud in a resonant cave that's going to act like a speaker to identify where you are where you can then get your throat cut, right? He was really restricted from doing what he felt he was put on earth to do, and that was praise the Lord. David didn't want to be freed from discomfort for the sake of his own personal ambitions or for comfort's sake. At least that wasn't his primary objective. David wanted to be freed from the things that restricted his ability to worship God in the capacity that such a glorious and wonderful God is worthy of. David recognized the transcendent nature of God, and he only desired to worship him in a manner that was fitting for his glory. The last phrase of verse 14 shows that David's motives were pretty pure. David wrote, I will rejoice in your salvation. Now notice the tense of David's proclamation here. He spoke in a present and future tense, even before God responded to David's request for mercy. David spoke with a confident expectation that he would receive God's mercy, trusting in God's merciful nature and faithful integrity. Since God is faithful, David confidently anticipated God's salvation and the opportunity to rejoice in it freely, even before his circumstances changed. Since God is the embodiment of mercy, he is the essence and source of mercy, David confidently anticipated God's salvation and the opportunity to rejoice in that salvation freely. David hadn't been delivered yet, 
David hadn't received the full benefits of God's salvation yet. Apparently, that didn't matter. David knew who God was and spoke of God's merciful deliverance and salvation as if it had already happened. That's kind of amazing, right? If only we had that kind of faith also. David knew that God was just, righteous, wise, merciful, and faithful to judge the wicked, but preserve the humble. Since David humbled himself in his heart, he was confident in God's integrity and character to be the means by which he would be delivered. So he praised God as much as he could, even before God gave him the ability to praise him more. Even though the Bible gives a lot of reasons why God might not respond to our prayers and petitions in the manner that we hope, David's song in Psalm 9 shows the proper attitude that we should have either way. Yeah, there could be a million other things that cause God to either want to wait to answer our cries for help or maybe not respond at all. But this is at least one point to focus on for now, right? And it's a heavy one. Our prayers should be for God's will to be done. Since God wants us to praise him freely, we should desire circumstances that enable us to do so. And notice that life doesn't have to be comfortable for us to praise the Lord. Yet, knowing that the essence of God's promise and works are eternally and spiritually focused, our desire to praise God freely in this life should not overtake our understanding of how perfectly we will praise God in eternal life. Yeah, it's good to desire to praise God to the full extent that God is worthy of, like David did, in this life. But if God should not provide that opportunity now, like he did with David, we should be glad to praise God to whatever extent we can until the total fulfillment of his promise in eternal life, all the while confidently anticipating the fulfillment of God's eternal promises at any moment. And that's what the Bible teaches about the one that we know as God. He is worthy of our praise because he knows everything about us and is patiently dealing with us, willing to offer mercy if we humbly seek him for it. The Bible teaches that David was a sinner to the degree of adultery. He conspired the death of a faithful servant. He was the cause of 70,000 deaths of people in Israel within a three-day period. I don't think any of us measure up to that. He deserved to be judged and condemned to hell. And David was the first to admit it. We see it plainly in scripture. But God forgave him. God didn't expect David to clean himself up and stack up good works to outweigh the bad ones. David wouldn't have ever been able to do that, and God knew. Sure, David had to deal with some real hard stuff that literally threatened his life, but David knew he deserved worse from God, all of us do. God offers forgiveness anyway. David knew that God's character and integrity, which kept him out of the flames of hell, that was reason enough to supremely value God and praise him, no matter the circumstances. God does answer prayer, but even if he doesn't answer in the particular ways that we hope and expect him to, he's still worthy of our praise to whatever degree we are able to offer because he's merciful. Things could be worse for us. Don't ever forget that. So before I get out of here, I just wanted to give you a quick reminder to please take a second and make sure you're subscribed. Make sure that you share the link to this podcast on your social media because this is important stuff we all need to know. And make sure that you're letting people know about what we got going on here. We need all the help we can get around here. (laughs) Don't keep the people you know from hearing the truth and hope 
they may need in a format like this. And also, keep in mind that all the Bible teaching I do here is 100% listener-supported. This means that I depend on listeners like you to pay for all the bills, for all the tools that make this stuff available to you, as well as pay for all the time that it takes to study the Word and prepare to this degree. And the time is tough, but the tools, whew, man, they ain't cheap. If this podcast is helpful to you and you value this sort of teaching, please prayerfully consider sending a donation this way. We're a legit nonprofit, 501c3, operating through our parent ministry called Proper Knowledge Ministries. You can check us out. If you'd like to partner with the work of the gospel that we're doing, here's how you do it. You can visit www.pastorbside.com, B-side like the flip side of a record. When you get there, you hit the support tab and give any amount that you're able as the Lord leads. And believe me, every bit helps. And if the Lord would lead you, maybe consider partnering with us monthly making your gift recurring, kind of like tithing to a church, because church is founded on the true teaching of the Bible, right? On continuing in the apostles' doctrine, and that's exactly what we do here. So, something to think about and pray about for sure. So again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the study, and until next time, peace out.